Welcome to a special edition of the Gridiron Studs Show. Uh, I haven't done a show in a while. I usually get on here and talk about recruiting topics um, such as how-tos on how to help young athletes that are in high school playing ball right now get recruited. But we've got so many other things going on in college football right now that will have some kind of an effect on the high school players that um, it's probably time for some of these shows to start talking about those issues that are coming up in college football as well as um, in college football recruiting outside of actual how-tos on you know how to get recruited on and so on and so forth because there are some interesting discussions to be had that I think uh, my audience would be very interested in hearing my thoughts on and will also stimulate some sort of... Um, thought and conversations amongst um, you know some of the people that are listening to the show and you know they could probably take this to social media and so on and so forth um, perhaps I make an interesting point that can be brought up in some of your own conversations that you're having either um, in group chats with your friends or um, on you know several of the various social media platforms that are out there Twitter is very hot with this with this issue as well as Facebook um, and, you know, some parts of, of, of Instagram, which does bring a younger audience. Haven't seen much on TikTok, and I'm on all the social media networks because, um, you know, these kids are everywhere. And, you know, you know obviously part of my audience and running GridironStuds.com and the Gridiron Studs app extends um, from, the, from the college coaches and the parents who are the adults, as well as the players that are some in college and some in high school and some on their way to high school. So... Uh, I must be visible and present in all of the various social media platforms. So, um, like I said, haven't seen a ton of discussion on this in um, you know in in the in things like TikTok and so on like that. But um, in some of these other areas, it is uh, definitely a very very hot topic of discussion. So, thought I would bring up some of those things here. And the biggest thing that you know, the thing that we're talking about here is the potential for the Power Five conferences to cancel their college football seasons. This became a really, really big topic over the weekend as it seemed the Big Ten wanted to lead the way in trying to cancel the season. They wanted to throw in the towel and they were interested in having um, the other conferences follow along, which is, which is very, very interesting. But um, the Big Ten, for whatever reason, is getting spooked. I have my... Uh, thought processes as to why that is possibly happening, and I'll discuss that um, within the framework of this show. But uh, the news was the Big Ten was looking to uh, themselves as a conference opt out of the season, and they wanted to talk to the other four members of the um, Power Five and see if they would um, bow out with them. How about that? They didn't want to just make the decision on their own. They wanted to drag the rest of them with them, and that... um, it, it exploded into conversations and statements being made by a wide range of people. Uh, obviously, the athletes had a feeling about it, and that you know, leading the charge on that were um, two guys that are expected to be top picks in the next NFL draft, which is Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, uh, basically coming out and stating that they would like to play. They've taken all the precautions. They would like to have a season. They've put a lot of work in, and they would like to finish out their college football careers in a manner that is is as normal as possible as you can have amidst um, you know the biggest pandemic of any of our lifetimes, um, and so 
they were leading the way with that. And, and you know, you got to commend those young men for taking their big stand on it and making statements. Um, you know, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence also talking about college football players having a union. And I think a lot of that talk is really just trying to be heard, um, trying to have their voices heard. They, these young men have put in a lot of work. They are the stars of the show, basically. They are the, 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 you know, the, the folks that are out there putting their lives and their bodies on the line each and every week, and they just don't feel very good about decisions being made about their future without them having some kind of input. And, you know, I think that's what was leading the way on um, wanting to join your union. Of course, there's some other issues involved in that, so, and you know, one of them being the players being paid. That's a discussion for a whole nother time. That's not going to be a part of this topic today, although I do have some uh, strong feelings. If you followed me on Twitter, I've you know expressed my opinion on whether or not college football players should be paid. But again, that should make for an interesting discussion on another podcast because, as I said, I'm going to start addressing some of the uh, issues that concern college football and college football recruiting outside of just how to get recruited. Uh, I think I'm going to use this platform for that. So let's dig into this. Um, the Big Ten. Um, my thought process is this. I think the biggest part of them wanting to opt out of this 2020 season and doing it in the fall is because of this very strong word that you will hear a lot of times called liability. I don't for one second, and I might get criticized for saying this, I don't for one second think that it's about um, the safety of the players. I just really don't think that that's what it's about. If it is, that's a small part of it. I think it's about whether or not the conference and the individual schools can be held liable um, in a court of law or in the court of public opinion if something catastrophic were to happen during the season with COVID-19 cases. Um, I think you get into a room with a bunch of lawyers and suits um, whose job it is to think about the various ways in which you can be sued and you know have a large amounts of money extracted from um, you know your 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 bank accounts. Um, then I think things go um, in that direction, and I think they just get in a room and let all those kind of thoughts manifest. And once you start on that course, you start thinking of all of the various terrible things that could happen. You start making up all kind of scenarios. And I think it was born out of some type of meeting like that, that I think the presidents of these schools got spooked. I don't think the athletic directors um, of these particular schools share that thought process. I think we've already heard from some of the uh, coaches of the, the Big Ten um, that don't share that process. They've made that, that thought process. They've made that quite clear. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, later on in the show. But uh, I think it just boils down to you let the you let the lawyers and the medical experts take over a meeting and they start talking and you sit there and you listen, it's very easy to get um, extremely spooked at the possibilities. And I think overrun with that thought, with those thoughts, I think the presidents who must think about a wide range of things outside of just football um, started thinking about maybe it's not a good idea to have a 2020 football season. And so I think that's what the Big Ten got afflicted with. I think the Pac-12 has already had a little bit of that because they also seemed to be on that train 
And so the Big Ten wanted to get out there feeling like if they put this out there that they would get a good amount of support. Well, I think they were a little bit surprised, I would have to say, by some of the pushback by the players, by the fans, as well as the coaches. They should have expected some. I don't think, I think they may have been caught a little bit by surprise by the uh, the intensity and the amount of pushback that they got, most notably from the two um, leaders in the conference in terms of um, football and recognition, which is Michigan and Ohio State, and Jim Harbaugh being the first one to come out saying that he thinks they should play. This was after Monday's, um, you know, I guess it was put out there as fact by several outlets, and it's tough in this day and age to decipher fact from, from rumor um, in, the world of, in the world of social media and even digital media now because everyone moves to get a story out there. But the, it was put out there that the Big Ten had canceled the season um, and that they weren't going to have the 2020 season. And I think a lot of people took off and ran with that. And that wasn't exactly the case. It's definitely the road they wanted to go down. So I think they kind of put out a semi-strong statement about them not wanting to play or not having a 2020 season. And then you got the kickback and then Jim Harbaugh saying that he thinks that they should do otherwise. And if the Big Ten doesn't want to have a football season, then the perhaps Michigan should um, apply to play in another conference, whether that's the Big 12, ACC, or perhaps even the SEC. Jim Harbaugh and the, and the folks at Michigan wanted to play. And then Later on, we got um, an equally strong statement from Ryan Day at Ohio State that said, um, you know, it, it's in their best interest, he thinks, for them to explore all other options for playing if Big Ten wants to move down the road of not playing a 2020 season. And then, you know, recently you've had Nebraska and Penn State jump on with that. Now, the, Nebraska has already stated that not having a college football season would be catastrophic for the rest of their um, athletic program. I don't know exactly economically what not having a football season would do to the other sports at Ohio State and Michigan. I'd like to think they'd be able to, they have enough in, in the war chest to be able to keep those those sports going, um, you know, without a year's worth of revenue. But Nebraska is saying um, that would be catastrophic for them. So that was a part of their motivation in coming out and saying, listen, we would like to explore other ways to have our 2020 football season, perhaps with one of these other conferences that um, perhaps have a little bit more of a spine and would like to move forward with all of the precautions and steps that they've put in and, and would like to play. So um, as the fire grew hotter against the Big Ten's decision, um, then the Big Ten kind of pulled back a little bit and now we don't have an absolute decision from the Big Ten that they are going to um, cut their 2020 season. That still seems to be on the fence um, as it is in the Pac-12. So we don't actually have a decision here. Now, because there's all of this indecision in, in these various conferences, um, there are folks talking about there should, be a, um, there should be a commissioner, one sole voice for um, all of college football. I don't even know if that is actually a good thing. Um, because sometimes just having that one solid voice can mean that one person with one opinion is going to make a decision that will affect all of the sport. And, you know, what if the commissioner for all of the NCAA or all of Power 5 football decided that he wanted to um, get immersed in all of the talk from the medical experts 
and the lawyers that the Big Ten was listening to and decided that there would be no football in 2020. Then you've got that one man making a decision about all five of these conferences. And it's clear that if a decision like that were to be made, there would be a serious firestorm and backlash from uh, folks from at least three of these conferences. Well, actually all, because you know I just talked about the Big Ten making that decision and you had several coaches from that conference say that they're not on board with it. But I think it just boils down to liability. Uh, I think this, the various schools in the Big Ten and the conference itself does not want to be on the hook financially um, or, or legally if the players um, were to come down with the, with the virus and perhaps get completely sick or God forbid a player dies or a player is, gets afflicted with the, with the disease and spreads it to a family member and they um, get seriously ill or pass away. And I think those were some of the scenarios that were brought up that really scared the hell out of some of the presidents for these schools. And so I think that's what happened. It's funny now how you have medical experts from that the Big Ten are listening to saying that they should cut the season while you have uh, medical experts that the SEC is listening to saying that you should move forward with the season with the steps and uh, plans that you have in place. And I made the point on Twitter that, listen, this is why people get second opinions on medical procedures because, you know, oftentimes no two doctors will see the same thing the same way. Um, so um, there are varying opinions. As we have seen throughout this pandemic, there are varying various opinions from um, different medical experts as to how this should be handled, the severity of it, and what people can and can't do. So um, I think a lot of it too is that people will gravitate to the medical experts that seem to be saying what it is that they want to hear. So the SEC from the beginning, and I think everyone knew this going in, um, are more apt to want to play the football season than not. Uh, they want to play football in the SEC and in the South. You just can't imagine a fall without football. And so uh, maybe it's by design that their medical experts um, seem to think that the season should go on. I can't say that for sure, but I've been around long enough to kind of know how these things work. So I think that's the, the way that it goes. It's funny that the MAC conference ends up being the conference that spooks everyone in Division One. You know, I think everything was going fine until the MAC decided they just were going to shut down college football. I don't understand that type of a decision being really made in August. I think, uh, I think all of these conferences can buy some time, similar to what the SEC did. Um, they pushed the start of their season back to September 26th, which was wise. You know, buy yourself a little bit of time. Let's see what happens. Does a vaccine come out? Um, do we flatten the curve? Do the, the amount of cases reverse? Um, is there a sharp decline in deaths? And, um, you know, any number of factors that could come in that would be positive to what's starting the season. I think you probably owe it to yourself to move more towards delaying it than just outright canceling it or trying to push it to the spring season, which in and of itself will be a challenge. So um, I was asked this on Twitter as well as a, as a parent of a player that's playing college football. My youngest son, Marco, is defensive back at the University of Florida, and I was asked whether or not I would be in favor of him signing a waiver to play this season. And my answer to that is yes. Um, going into it, with or without the waiver, we know what the risks are. Um, and we're taking on those risks by going to play. It's a decision, it's a choice that's being made. And so if that decision is being made, 
not really looking to turn around and sue the university, the conference, or the NCAA if he were to contract the virus. Now, the flip side of that is this. When you sign that waiver, what type of responsibility does it absolve the school from? If a school or a conference or the NCAA in general is going to, as a result of having all these waivers signed, relax some of their standards or not be as diligent in providing these protections for the players, and I think you know the waivers are a really, really bad deal. But if you have these waivers in place and signed um, and they continue to be as diligent as they have been in terms of taking the safety precautions, getting out and testing, and trying to ensure that the players are indeed as safe as possible um, playing these games, then you know I don't I personally don't have a problem with that. If if another parent is against that, well, you know I'm not here to criticize them either. Everyone's situation when it comes to this is different. Everyone's thought process is different. Everyone um, there are different situations at home and. You know, I can't really criticize someone who wouldn't be in favor of that. All I'm just saying is that me personally, I would be okay with having that waiver signed because going into it, like I said, without a waiver, I already know what the the dangers are, the risks are, and we've made the decision to move forward without those. So hopping back to the Big Ten, though, and the Ohio State, Ryan Day, and Michigan's um, Jim Harbaugh talking about playing elsewhere I would be interested in knowing where the fans out here um, and those listening to this think would be a good place for Ohio State or Michigan to wind up. Well, I guess we could also include Penn State in that as well, um, as this being the three big boys um, in this conference. No disrespect to Wisconsin. Uh, I guess you could throw them in there as well, but I don't want to make this group too large. Let's just stick to the two figureheads of the conference right now, which are Ohio State and Michigan. Um, and that doesn't entirely have to do with record. It's just the reputation. When you think Big Ten, it's Ohio State and Michigan. So we're just sticking with them for whatever the reasons are. Please don't at me on Twitter if I didn't include your school that has been, ha- that has been happening to do well in the, the Big Ten of recent years, like a Wisconsin or a Penn State. No disrespect to those guys. Just trying to keep this conversation small as it relates to this. So where would be a good place for Ohio State and Michigan? Of course, everyone wants to talk about them possibly joining the SEC because the SEC, whether folks like it or not, is seen as a king uh, conference in college football. Um, And there are very good reasons for that. Every April, uh, early May, the NFL goes in and pulls more players out of the SEC than any other conference. It is what it is. And on top of that, if you go back and look at the history um, of the national championships, you know, it bears that out, at least over the last decade or so. Um, the SEC tends to be the one that raises the trophy uh, at the end of the season when you have championships. So you can fight with me on and on about that, but the proof is in the pudding. So Ohio State and Michigan, how would they do down in the SEC? And uh, one of the points that I'm making is that it would have to come down to, to scheduling. Um, an interesting point was made by Jay Book on, on Twitter, and he's actually been very, very good in um, the discussions that we've been having of late, providing very good information and good insight. Um, and it's Jay, at JBook on Twitter. He's an Ohio State uh, follower, fan, etc. cetera. Um, but he said that Ohio State would likely be favored in all but maybe one of their games in the SEC. And I'm, I'm not here to fight against that. That is probably true. That is probably how Vegas would look at it. However, 
I think scheduling would have a good amount to do with that. If you're talking about Ohio State coming down and playing in the South in September against some tough opponents, um, I think that's a difficult game for them to win. Um, and I'm not really talking about fans because we're going to assume that we're not going to have fans at these games. That's, you know, if I have time, that's something I'll touch on before um, I wrap up this podcast. But uh, I'm talking strictly weather. Uh, coming down and playing in Alabama or an LSU or a Florida early on in September could be very, very difficult for an Ohio State or Michigan. You're just simply not used to the humidity. And for those of you out there who have never gotten yourself into pads and had to practice or play in that type of humidity, I'm here to tell you there's what you think it is and then there is what it really is. And those two things are not the same. Um, I can promise you that right now. Played at the University of Miami. I saw teams come from out of the area and come play us in the Orange Bowl in September. And you could literally see the one-two uh, and the desire leaving their eyes as the humidity swallowed them up and wilted them, um, you know, like bacon in a frying pan. Um, it really does sap the energy from you. Um, it, it will take the life out of you. And as much as you may want to move fast and, and, and you have an idea in your head of how things should go and what you would like to do, the sun will bake that right out of you. The humidity will suck all of that out of you. So it becomes a very, very difficult thing. And you would be playing against teams and, and athletes who are used to it, that just spent an entire summer going through that, and they're gonna be more used to the heat than you. Um, vice versa, once we get into December, we get into November, December, teams in the SEC now traveling to Ohio or traveling to Michigan, to play an outdoor game in freezing temperatures will now be at uh, an extreme disadvantage because for the same reason that you know the guys up north won't be good in September, um, you're just not used to those frigid temperatures. So as much fight as you want to have um, and as much energy as you want to have and as much desire you may have to win the game, that wind blowing into your face mask and your cheekbones starting to hurt and the ball stinging your hands and contact against another player stinging more than it ever should um, can sometimes um, take some of the fight out of a Southern football team. So weather starts to become a factor. So how the schedule is put together, if Ohio State could get an Alabama, LSU, or Florida up in their area in November, uh, it, it, it's obviously advantage Ohio State in that situation. So it really would boil down to for Ohio State, Michigan and, and Penn State and Wisconsin as to how those games are scheduled. When do you get those tough games and where are they played? I think that would be a big part of it. Uh, do I think Ohio State would run through an SEC schedule and go undefeated? I do not. Um, what people fail to realize is that the SEC is it's a it's a tough game each and every week and so even when you go play a team like Vanderbilt yeah you're gonna beat Vanderbilt if you're Ohio State of Michigan you'll do that but it's gonna be a very physical physical game um, it's a very physical brand of football I don't want to take that away from uh, the Big Ten as well but it's just it's just different it's just different it's a tough game each and every week even the ones that you um, seemingly win with ease. It's just a tough mental grind week in and week out. And for anyone who's coached or played this game, you just understand what that is. You can get 
a little bit of mental fatigue and you can walk into a game uh, against an Ole Miss and not be on point because you just have this fatigue or you're trying to save something for the, the big game next week and you know you can walk out of Oxford with a loss. Um, you know, of course, that could happen in the Big Ten. I just see that more happening through an SEC schedule than others. You know, folks from the Big Ten that are fans of the Big Ten are going to want to fight and argue about that. I'm just here to tell you um, that that is something I strongly believe uh, and, and something that I've observed over my many, many years of watching. And, of course, I played this game and coached this game, so um, I just don't see an Ohio State running through the schedule undefeated. I think it would be difficult if you added an Ohio State and a Michigan and certainly a Wisconsin or a Penn State to the SEC for anybody in in what would be the new conference um, to go undefeated. So I just don't think that would be the case. So, you know, when you're getting down to the end and you're trying to decide on who would be um, in an SEC championship game or in a national championship game, I think you're going to be looking at a, a player. Uh, you're going to be looking at teams that have at least one loss Maybe even two when you get down to it. Could be fun to watch something like that. But um, these are obviously interesting developments for us to uh, watch as things move forward. Because if the Big Ten is going to um, move forward with, with the plan that they put out there to not have football this season, it would be interesting to see if a Michigan or Ohio State can move to another conference. I, I, I really think the natural move... The easier move, um, I think the move that they would look to make first would be a move to the Big 12, um, not to the SEC. I think they would want more of a situation where they go to the Big 12 and perhaps you pit the Big 12 against you know, the SEC at the end, finding a champion from each league and so on and so forth. Um, so I, I would look to, I would expect Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, Nebraska those teams to quicker move to the Big 12 than, than the SEC. It kind of makes more sense, too, in terms of proximity um, and, and the amount of travel that would be required in the games. But if the Big 12 is not with it, um, at least I think an Ohio State and Michigan would, would really be serious about trying to leave. And then what does that do for the Big 10? I think the talk from, from these various schools, which are the big-name schools in this conference, has um, probably spooked the Big 10. You know, what if these schools leave, go play a year in one of these other conferences and they really like it? Do they come back to the Big Ten? Do they say sayonara to the Big Ten and the way that you guys go about making decisions and they stay out forever? Can the Big Ten, fo can Big Ten football survive without an Ohio State and Michigan? Can it survive without Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Nebraska? I don't think so. So that's now something, the ball has been now thrown back into the court of all the decision makers at the Big Ten. You sat in there and you listened to all of the medical doctors and the lawyers, the people who don't have to suit up or don't have a whistle around their neck and they're not really directly involved with the players and you decided to you know, make a decision off of that and now the folks who do wear the whistle and the helmets and are involved with the players have now thrown a grenade into the room and shut the door on you guys and you're worried about it blowing up. And it blowing up would mean Ohio State, Michigan, and uh, some other t big wigs in the conference leaving and going to another conference. Is that really what, what you want? It'd be like loaning your girlfriend out for you know, a couple of weeks or a month or something to that effect. And I don't think that's something. I don't think the Big Ten Conference wants to see um, Ohio State and Michigan um, holding hands with you know, another conference. So 
Um, they're dealing with that grenade right now. The pin has been pulled, and now the Big Ten has some super big decisions to make. I think they didn't really think too much about um, the ramifications of what uh, their decision would, would, would lead to, would bring to the table. So, we'll see. Um, here's something I also wanted to, to, to touch on. Well, first of all, before I even get to that, um, I think, and this has, been a, this has been something that's been brought up uh, by various people and, and largely by fans, but there have been some media members that have brought this up saying that, hey, listen, if you are not willing to bring the students, the general students, back onto campus, you know, how is it that you can expect the football players to, to play? And if you're expecting the football players to play without, and you don't want to bring the students back, well, then you're saying that these college football players are essentially, they're professional athletes, so you should pay them. I have a different look on this. I think you are in a better situation if you're a fan, coach, um, player, anyone who wants to see a college football season played. I think you're in a better situation if you decide not to if you're in a, on a campus where you don't have the general students on campus. What we've noticed about the NBA and the success that they're having with their bubble format, I guess, having all the players staying in this one location um, where you don't have the general public around them and they're kind of isolated from the rest of civilization, if I could say that, is that that seems to be something that works. And essentially that's what you would be having if you kept the general students away from campus um, at these various schools where football is being played. If you left it to where the players were the only ones on campus so the rest of the students were just taking online courses at their various locations around the country or wherever, I think now you have less chance of interaction by the players with other people who may be carrying the virus. So, you know, the general students are just going to be walking around. They're not going to be getting tested as much um, as the players would be. They're not taking the precautions that the players would be. And if you have the players trying to take these precautions, but then you have these general students walking around campus and the players have this opportunity to interact with them, well, now you face a, a problem with possible contamination by an outside source of people. So I think the students not being on campus creates a bubble effect, which, as I said, um, seems to be a really good situation, and we've learned that from the NBA. So we need to, as fans, as media members, um, and all the other observers of the sport of college football, we need to stop thinking about this as being just a game. It is a game, but we can uh, anyone reasonable can understand it. It's much more than that. It's much more than that for the players who are seeking an opportunity for um, for the you know bigger and better things beyond college football and you know obviously I'm talking about playing the NFL they're seeking to do this professionally as many of the as many of the students on campus have are doing as well you know they're obviously there on campus um, going through their regular classes and pursuing their various trades at, um, and and trying to have a professional career afterwards academically. Uh, these players are obviously pursuing, you know, potential athletic careers um, in the professional ranks, and that's what they're they're they're, they're doing. But I think we all need to stop looking at this as you know, college football just being a game. It's 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 not that. And I know there's that contingent out there that thinks 
because of that, the player should draw a salary. But again, that's a discussion for another podcast at another time. But staying on that theme, I think we need to understand the importance of college football in terms financially, in terms of the budgets, not only just for the athletic departments at these schools, but for these schools in general. Some of that money is funded, funds um, other things at the school. So there's some very important um, financial decisions that are being made with regards to college football and not having it um, obviously has a very detrimental effect. And listen, college sports are a very, part of, very big part of, of campus life. And if you, if you have a, a campus that doesn't have a football team or you have a campus um, that does not have a, you know, much sports, then, you know, obviously that's a less attractive um, academic institution than another one that does indeed have um, college football and college, college sports in a heavy rotation there. So there are big financial decisions that are being made here. So it's bigger than just um, it's bigger than just a game. We need to understand that there's a lot of money that's made. Um, there's a lot of money changing hands. There are a lot of jobs that are fulfilled by having a college football season. And I'm not just talking about the players. Uh, I'm, I'm not just talking about the coaches, sorry. Um, and and th- there's the, there are the media members. There are people in concessions. There you know, in parking, all that. There's a lot of commerce that, is sur- that surrounds a college football game. A college football season um, and you know if you don't have a college football season what about these college towns where you know basically everything around there there's you know restaurants bars um, uh, the various businesses that are open in these college football towns solely because you have um, college football games going on in in in, in a fall that are going to be affected so there's a lot to think about there when you're just talking about collapsing a college football season. Another thing I wanted to touch on was the potential of moving the college football season to spring. This was talked about early. It was kind of thrown out there in a nonchalant fashion, and I just didn't hear enough people in the early going pushing back against this and trying to make sense out of it. It took a while for people to do this, but almost instantly I realized this is potentially being a bad idea. Number one, you could push this college football season back and call it spring football, and then you want to start it in January. We have no guarantees about what January is going to bring. Yes, it's a delay, and you're in a situation of saying maybe there'll be a vaccine. Uh, maybe the numbers will slow down. Maybe they'll reverse course. What if they don't? What if there is no vaccine in January? We're facing all of the same decisions right now uh, that we're facing right now in January. And now there really is no other place to push um, a college football or college basketball season once you get to, to, to January. You're not pushing it. At that point, you're either playing it then under those circumstances and situation, or you're just flat out canceling a 2021 season. You're not going to have it at all. And that's a situation I don't think a lot of people want to have. So I'm looking at it like this. Listen, you made all of these you made all these plans, all right? And if you're college football, you had enough of a head start on this thing. It popped up in, in, in January, February, March is when we really shut things down. You've had all this time to plan, put precautions in place, uh, put all these steps in place. And that is what has happened. 
and now you've returned all of the players to, to campus and their respective athletic departments. And let's be honest, for a large portion of the rosters at these schools, the players are in better hands um, in the athletic department. And that's not entirely a shot at the situation that the players come from. Even for, even for players that come from middle or upper middle class families, the truth of the matter is that these players are getting tested more often. They're, they're, they're monitored a little bit more if they are on the campuses and within the care of the athletic department. And, you know, a situation where a kid catches COVID is going to be um, diagnosed. It's going to be found a whole lot quicker than if they're at home walking around day to day. Because as we've seen, a lot of the players, uh, a lot of the people in this age range don't show any symptoms. They're all asymptomatic. So they really aren't going to have cause to go and get tested. They're not going to want to go sit in a long line in a car and go have a Q-tip jammed up their nose. It's just not something a lot of them are going to want to volunteer for. And if they don't, if they're not showing any symptoms, why would they do that? A lot of them, if they're out doing their thing and partying and wanting to be in groups with people and, and carrying on and having a good time as kids 18 to 22 years old or t would tend to do, uh, I don't think they would want to know whether or not they're positive. If they're not showing any symptoms, they'll just walk around with it and they won't be motivated to go, like I said, sit in a line and go get um, tested. Now, if they're on campus, if they want to practice, they want to play, they want to be a part of the 2020 football season, they're going to get tested ever so often. And if, it is, uh, if they do indeed catch the coronavirus, it will be detected rather quickly and it will be dealt with rather quickly in a professional manner with medical personnel. And I think that's a far better situation than I think what the majority of the players on the roster would face if you now turn around and send them home because you're not going to have a 2020 college football season. And Nick Saban, um, someone who's highly, highly respected in the college football world, said as much yesterday when he made the comment that the players, quite simply, are safer on the college campuses um, in, within the athletic department than they would be anywhere else. So what really is the talk of canceling all about? I'm going to bring it back to, again, liability. No, these conferences and the schools don't want to put themselves in a position to be sued. And there are people who are paid to think about these things 24-7 and they obsess over them. I've faced it at the high school level. Whenever they just don't want to do something, a lot of times Schools will just throw out their liability to, to you. It's kind of like this powerful word. It's like the handgun in the small of the administration's back. When they don't want to do something, they'll just reach in the small of their back, pull out the liability handgun and shoot it at you. Say it's a liability and you're going to have to respect that because no one wants to get sued and blah, 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 blah. And I think that's what's really just happening here. That's fueling the talk from the Pac-10 and the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten about possibly canceling the season. And um, I think a large portion of the folks outside of that circle um, just want these people to have some stones. And so, like I said, the grenade has been lobbed back into the conference rooms of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 when you start having your schools talking about leaving and going and playing somewhere else. So this is going to be very, very interesting. I just wanted to share some of the comments that I have as a careful observer, as a parent, um, as a former player, as, uh, and as someone who's coached and on the high school level and and trains a lot of these athletes and have seen them gone on go on to play at the college football level it's clear though if you're you know if you're looking at things on social media that a large overwhelming 
portion of these players want to play. They want to they have their seasons. And so, um, you know, the point has been made that, it, listen, if you don't play, you don't lose the eligibility. It just gets moved back another year. 18 to 22-year-olds are not patient, okay? Patience is not something that they're going to have. And if for us older folks who are up there in age, um, if we can just think back to our college years, our high school years, or those years where we were 18 to 22, 23 years old, we weren't very patient either. And for some of these guys that are moving closer to, I don't want to say certainty because you can never be like that, but um, have very strong prospects at the next level, asking them to wait another year um, can be a very, very difficult proposition. Also too, in getting back to the players being safer, on the campuses and within the supervision of the athletic departments. Um, I, I shudder to think what these players are going to do if they have to go back home outside of not getting tested. Just what kind of activities are they going to be in um, where there's very little structure? Um, you go do your little online classes and then the rest of the day is yours. There isn't a practice. There isn't any of those things. What kind of um, activities are they going to get into? And I'm talking more along the lines of getting involved in activities that's going to expose them to this virus. So please, 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 Big Ten, Pac-12, anyone else thinking about it, please don't tell me you're doing this for the safety of the players because you think they'll be safer without a college football season than not. I think everyone can see right through that. That is definitely not the case. Anyone with a brain, anyone who has spent any amount of time around uh, these players or know anything at all um, knows damn well that that's not true. So it's not about the, the safety of the players. Me personally, though, on a, when I'm looking at the various sports, going into this, I thought you know basketball would be the easiest sport to have um, coronavirus spread amongst the players. Um, I, and then I also thought, you know, soccer and baseball as well. You know, they're having a full-on European soccer league, um, and there haven't been... Um, any widespread outbreaks, certainly nothing that would stop the season because they've just continued to play and there, there haven't been any, any problems there. Baseball had a few problems early on. Um, you know, the, the Miami Marlins ran into a situation. Leave it to Florida. <laughs> Leave it for the state of Florida to be the ones to come up with that. But, um, and that was taken care of rather quickly. So baseball has been able to carry on. And, you know, I've talked about the NBA. They've tested NHL. All these other sports have been going on without the problem um, and certainly college football with their billions and billions of dollars in revenue um, certainly have enough money um, to be able to mimic what is being done at both the NBA and M MLB and NHL levels and, and can get this season in. So those are my theories as to why this thing, um, you know, the talk may be coming from, from the Big Ten about canceling the season. I think it just rolls back to liability and not wanting to be on the hook or stomach the blame if you know a player or players get sick and there's an outbreak. There's always the, the chance to, but, but getting back to what I was talking to about the various sports and the, um, the amount of risk involved in playing them, um, I've said from the beginning, I think football, there's, I think there's a lower risk in football in, in transmitting the disease. And maybe some of you disagree with me, but there's a lot of armor on there. You've got a helmet with shield on it. Um, and some of these guys are going to wear the shield that, you know, covers the, the, uh, the mouth area. And you've got shoulder pads. And um, yes, you do get into crowds. Obviously, there are piles. Um, but the chance of 
fluids from the mouth uh, or nose from another player getting onto the eyes or nose or mouth um, of an opposing player is severely limited, again, because of the amount of equipment that is being worn. Now, um, you know, you would talk about possibly fluid getting on another player's hands, and we're just talking about the various ways in which we've heard that the virus is spread. If it gets on their hands and a player touches their face, so on and so forth, um, it's kind of hard during the course of a football game to just be touching your face like that, and I think if you make players aware of it, um, I think it's something that could be severely limited. Um, I think if you set up some kind of protocols so when the players come off on the sidelines to have their hands rinsed or their gloves run through something and just make it a habit, I think we're looking at less of a chance of the virus being spread from player to player in practice and in games. And again, if you can follow a strict protocol at your individual schools, as they've been able to do in the NBA, and you have all these players engaging in activities that don't cause them to catch the virus and they're testing negative and you're going and playing the game, you've got a team full of players without a virus playing against a team full of players who don't have the virus and they're playing. So who's going to catch anything? No one's catching a virus because everyone playing in the game is quote-unquote negative. They're getting the required amount of tests during the week, which is one early and one late, and they're not playing in the game if they have the virus, and if you've got a team full on both sides of players who don't have the virus, what's getting transmitted? Nothing. If you do somehow miss a player having it, maybe he was negative for having the virus, but he, but he does in fact have the virus. Again, now we're talking about, um, I think there are limited risk factors in that player during the course of the game transmitting that if you follow some kind of reasonable protocols, transmitting the disease from himself to another player, even though we're in these big groups and you, you know, yeah, obviously you get in a, in a pile and tackling and so on and so forth. There's a lot of armor on there and um, the chances of fluids getting into the required areas for it to be transmitted seems... Um, a little limited to me. I could, I could be wrong, but just me observing it, that's that's kind of uh, how I'm looking at these things. And finally, going back to that spring football season, I think if you go push, if, if, if these conferences get that spooked and they decide they want to push uh, a college football season to the spring, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of guys who have the, the, the chance and the ability to go to the next level opting out. It's just not, first of all, for the, for the players who don't have that, Talking about playing a, a college football season in January and February, which, you know, for those that are in some type of a playoff, moving into March and then turning around and trying to start the, the, the regular 2021 season on time in, in August, September, I don't know that that's good physically for any of the players involved. I know it definitely isn't for any college football player that's looking to go to the NFL and is at that point in their eligibility where they could do that. I think they'll all, a large portion of them, will opt out of a spring season. You can certainly expect the best players to do that. I can't see a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence deciding to play in, in January and February and likely into the early part of March, turn around and somehow try and get themselves physically ready for um, any type of testing or tryout for the NFL. Um, and then turning around and playing an NFL season. I mean, you're really exposing yourself to having some kind of uh, major injury and at the very least 
chronic injuries in your rookie season to where you can't even perform up to um, the level that you were drafted and the contract that has been given to you. And I think faced with those, um, with those possibilities, I think a lot of the top players are going to bow out. So what are you going to have as a product out on the field for, for, for fans to absorb when all of the top players, everyone that you have pubbed um, and given any amount of publicity to going into the season, not participating in it. So there are many, many reasons why I don't think a spring football season um, should be in the foremost um, thoughts of anyone, any of the decision makers at these conferences. If you're forced, and I mean as an absolute last resort, forced into something like that, well then I guess you're just going to have to deal with it. But um, trying to bring that out as one of the you know early things that you're thinking about doing, I just don't think that's the idea. You know, delay the season to to October. Start it in October if you if you have to. You're better off doing a, a middle of October to um, you know middle of December type of deal, and then kind of trying to go there rather than trying to push this thing back to uh, a January February situation um, and possibly into March. None of that makes any sense at all for me. So that's uh, that's me wrapping it up on my thoughts about this whole. Um, coronavirus possibly you know ending the 2020 college football season um, I will obviously be back to you if some some of the uh, decisions uh, or if any if, if any of the events change it will certainly be back on to, to talk about it perhaps I'll do this podcast on a daily basis like I said I just want to start tackling some of the issues in college football and college football recruiting outside of just the how-to's on how to get recruiting those will continue obviously uh, we'll continue down the line with those things but uh, I think in between all of that, we do need to address some of those situations. Man, just on a side note, listen, I'm obviously very active on Twitter and I'm watching Florida State. I'm watching not Florida State. They just haven't been involved in this thing lately. But I'm watching Florida and Miami fans go back and forth. And it's been just really, really hot in recruiting. Um, you know, Miami had a couple of um, big wins um, of late. And uh, one of the uh, latest ones was picking up five-star, um, two five-star signings by the University of Miami. And it's been a while since um, we, as an alumni, have been able to do that. But um, you got two pretty close back-to-back, to, back to you know, less than, you know, three weeks apart as, as Miami picked up the uh, top safety in the, in the country for 2021 and James Williams, who plays at American Heritage, 6'5", 220 pounds. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of possibilities with this young man, but he's a five-star defensive back, and it's been a while since that's um, landed on the University of Miami campus. So Manny Diaz and the staff doing a very, very good job. And then less than three weeks after that, um, you know, the Palmetto High School has been doing an outstanding job to the point where they have something known as the Palmetto Five, which are five top players being recruited by many of the programs across the country. And Miami once again dipped in there to get defensive tackle Leonard Taylor. He's also a five-star prospect, uh, according to the recruiting services, and landed him. So Miami fans on Twitter were very, very happy about that, shooting a lot of uh, barbs uh, at the University of Florida, who then turned around and grabbed back-to-back recruits within days of each other. And again, it was the Palmetto Five that were a part of this, so much so that um, the two prospects just picked up from Palmetto for Florida uh, are the two top prospects in their 2021 recruiting class right now. So uh, on, on Saturday, 
the University of Florida picked up Jason Marshall, cornerback out of Palmetto, 6'2", 180 pounds, um, and, and, you know, if not the best, you know, one of the best cornerbacks in the country, currently ranked second at 247 Sports at his position. He's overall 29th nationally, um, according to 247 Sports. And they pick him up Saturday, and then yesterday, which was uh, Monday, they picked up safety out of Palmetto, Corey Collier, who is uh, ranked number three at his position for the class of 2021, ranked 83rd overall. So as you can imagine, University of Florida fans on Twitter firing back at University of Miami fans, and it's just been fun to watch the whole war. You know who are, I think both schools are the winners right now. Both schools are are obviously benefiting from, <coughs> excuse me there, both of them are benefiting from all this back and forth and the war that's going on. It seems to me that all of this coronavirus, um, the events surrounding coronavirus has helped both schools in recruiting as as more in-state talent seems to be staying home. So after picking up James Williams and Leonard Taylor, the University of Miami had um, catapulted themselves ahead of the University of Florida and into the top 10, but with Florida firing back with signing the two defensive backs, uh, the two high-profile defensive backs out of Palmetto. Um, they have now moved themselves to uh, number six overall in the country. And it's been a while since both schools have really been up there in the fray like this as we're starting to move closer to December and we're in, we're in uh, very different times in terms of recruiting. Just a quick run through the top 10 right now in terms of team rankings. For the class of 2021, Ohio State, who's been doing an outstanding job, has a pretty you know, strong lead, although Alabama and Clemson seem to be moving up on them. Alabama is second. Clemson is third. Oregon and uh, Mario Cristobal doing a great job at number four. Tennessee, a little bit of a surprise at five. They have 24 commits. They've signed a five-star. Florida, as I said, at number six. LSU is seventh. Thought they would be a little bit thicker into things coming off of the kind of season that they have, but you can't sneeze at a top 10 ranking as of right now. And again, it's only it's only August. Number eight is USC, who's um, done some strong things in the recruiting world. And they aren't really coming off of the great um, season on the last couple of seasons. So kudos to them for even being in the discussion right here. Miami, as I said, at number nine. And Michigan rounding out the top 10. Um, with 21 commits, they do have a five-star commit. So far as five-star commits, Ohio State and Alabama are really killing it right now. They have four five-star commits. Uh, everyone else in the top six have at least one five-star commit. Miami has two, and they're sitting at number nine. Michigan has one. Um, LSU and USC are the only two teams ranked in the top ten in the team rankings that do not yet have a, uh, a five-star commit. We'll see if that changes um, I gotta do. I gotta take my hat off to North Carolina and Mac Brown. They have just been absent from this whole recruiting um, excellence over the last several many years. And Mac Brown and company have come in, and they are a, definitely a factor in in things. And they are sitting right now at number eleven. They'd be higher if um, you know the number one corner. In, in the country, Tony Grimes didn't reclassify to the class of 2020. They'd probably be in the uh, top 10 right now. All right, so that rounds it off. Listen, I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. And I do want to remind anyone who is a parent of a prospect or a prospect that's listening to this, 
or especially college football fans. If you love college football recruiting, you got to right now go download my app. The Gridiron Studs app connects high school football players with college football coaches and fans. The players use the Gridiron Studs app to post their profile. They detail both their athletic and academic accomplishments as well as post their highlight videos so that college football coaches and fans can see it. What they also do is keep their college football fan base updated on the recruiting process. So you college football recruiting fans, you can stay up to date on what's going on with your favorite recruits from across the country and the ones that you would like to come to your favorite school because the players do update their recruiting process. You can get some information straight from the horse's mouth, which are the recruits. Um, so like I said, they post a recruiting status detailing all of the latest information um, in their recruiting like offers, trips, visits, camp performances, top fives, and more. With college football coaches, if there are any listening to the podcast right now, um, you guys uh, can search through the database. You can find the latest prospects to add to um, your your recruiting list and you know to help out your program. College football fans stay updated on the latest info in the recruiting uh, from the in the recruiting process from the targets um, by reviewing the recruiting status, like I said, and the recruiting articles which are posted within the app. Um, and fans can you can also show support for your favorite schools for the recruits by becoming a fan of the of the prospects once you become a fan of a prospect your favorite school's logo appears on his profile and so now he knows um, which fans out there love him the most all right and you know that's something that matters to to um, the prospects that are out there they they, they want to know that the school that they're going to has a fan base that loves them um, that you know wants to see them come there and do well and will cheer for them you know that is that is a factor and and, and as well as should be and uh, you know fans you have a chance to show your love to to the prospects and um, also follow them and see what's the latest on that so head on over to the app store right now and uh, search gridiron studs and download the app same in the Google Play Store for all you Android users head over there right now search gridiron studs download the app now whether you're a fan coach player prospect um, or you're a parent, um, do that right now. Get on there and join um, and take a look at the number one college football recruiting app that is out there. All right, so enough plugging on that. Again, I want to thank you guys for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. Do me one more favor. Please share this podcast on your favorite social media platform, Facebook, um, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, show me some love. Um, show the uh, Show the... Show the podcast some love and, and let's get these thoughts out there and, and let's get some discussion going about what's going on in college football and college football recruiting. All right, guys, once again, thanks for listening. Until next time, good iron studs. Be seen.